Amen. Good to see you again as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. I'm really enjoying this. It's challenging to go through Matthew taking a full chapter at a time because there are some long chapters with a lot of things jammed in there. But I've found it kind of fascinating as we look at a whole chapter to ask ourselves, why did Matthew put these stories together the way that he did? Why are they bunch the way they are. Sometimes they may be really disparate, and yet we discover that they fit together in a very intelligent way when we look at it that way. And chapter 14 is no exception to that, Matthew 14. Here you have, first of all, it starts with the darkest day probably of Jesus' life before he ultimately was heading to the cross. It was the death of his friend, probably his cousin, John the Baptist. And it was a horrible way that he died. And so it opens with that. The next thing you see is arguably the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did. Feeding, we call it the 5,000, but it says there were women and children that weren't counted. So fifteen to 20,000 people easily that he fed from five dinner rolls and, and a couple of fish and and, you know, that, you know, you might go, well, yeah, but how about raising somebody from the dead? Isn't that a bigger miracle? Not really, because here you have 20,000 witnesses who went like, no, I actually ate the stuff. Not only that, there are leftovers where it's like, this is real and a ton of people can attest to it. So great miracle there. Then you have Jesus, one of his most iconic miracles, walking on the water and letting Peter get out and walk with him for a bit. Um, Pretty incredible. And then the chapter ends by anybody who touches Jesus' shirt gets healed. So quite a combination. But let's go through this a little bit and see what ties all these events together. Um, So verse 1, Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. And said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead and therefore these powers are at work in him. So Herod, he's called Herod the Tetrarch here. He was a guy that went by Herod Antipas. He was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the guy that built, you know, the city of Herodian, Masada. He built the temple for the Jews. He built the great aqueducts there in Jerusalem. Um, He was called Herod the Great. Well, he named himself that, but he actually was great. His sons, not so much. So his area kind of split up among three of of his kids that each took over an area. So Herod Antipas is one of those three. By the way, uh, trivia, the word tetrarch means one of four rulers, but he only had three, but they still called him a tetrarch. So this guy isn't that sharp. He hears what Jesus is doing, and he's like, that's John the Baptist reincarnated. Now, as we find out, he had just killed John the Baptist. Jesus is an adult. In fact, he's only six months younger than John the Baptist. So how in the world could he be reincarnated John the Baptist? But Herod's not the sharpest guy, as you'll see. Um, So Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison 
for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. So this is going back. And the reason John went to prison was because he had spoken out against Herod Antipas for having his brother's wife. Now this Herodias, she's a real piece of work. She was actually a granddaughter of Herod the Great. And remember, Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great. So this is his niece, but also she had been married to his brother, so she's also his sister-in-law, and then now she was his common-law wife. So you're, you're not in Kentucky, this is first century, but it's like, what a weird mess, and a bunch of messy people, and it was ugly. So, you know, John the Baptist had spoken out against this moral corruption. Now it's interesting because often we say that you know, and, and it's true. Jesus never addressed the corruption that was in the political system of the day. That wasn't his calling. John clearly did. So let's be careful not to judge people who do that or to judge people who don't do it. Everyone has to figure out what their calling is. But if your calling is to shout down the government, um, this might be your story as well. So think about it. Make sure that God's calling you to do it. But so he, John had just said... How can you be with a woman who's married to your brother and she's also your niece? And, you know, this is weird. So he threw him into prison and he wanted to kill him, but people really liked John the Baptist, so instead he put him in prison. But when it was Herod's birthday, he's having this party and Herodias, who's the daughter of his, of his, his, uh, um, you know, well, it's his wife, his sister, his, his niece, all that. Um, she has her daughter go and dance for Herod as they're all drunk and in this party and doing this. And it wasn't that unusual in those days. People drink enough and they start getting weird. And so he told her, it, it pleased Herod in verse 7, therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. He goes, I'll give you whatever you want. And so she, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Like nothing will spice up a birthday party better. (laughs) So he was sorry. He said he he hated to do it because he knew people liked John the Baptist. But hey, I have to keep my word. So he said, okay, fine. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then John's disciples came and took away the body, what was left of it, and buried it and went and told Jesus. How must this have felt to Jesus? This is the guy who really got Jesus his start in ministry. He had baptized him. He had proclaimed that this is the Messiah. He's the one you're waiting for. In every way, he had promoted Jesus at the expense of, he said, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. And again, this is my younger cousin that I'm talking about. And so certainly for Jesus, John the Baptist was his, his oldest friend. Of all of his relatives at that point, None of his relatives were really following him, his brothers, his sisters, even his mom. They were kind of off doing their own thing. And 
John the Baptist had pointed the way to Jesus. And now he's brutally and humiliatingly put to death and for just speaking the truth. And this had to have hit Jesus. It had to have been like, whoa, I, I would suggest that perhaps this was a harsher blow than when Jesus ultimately went to the garden before going to the cross. Because this for him would have been symbolic of, I came and I offered myself as Messiah and now I have been soundly rejected. And now we're going to have to do this the hard way. And so certainly this was a devastating blow for Jesus. So what does he do? If I was Jesus at this point, I just would have killed a whole bunch of people. I would have gone nuts. But Jesus heard it, verse 13. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. When the multitudes heard it, they tried to follow him on foot and circle around and see where he was ending up. So Jesus got away by himself. And we'll come back to that in a moment, but it's an interesting response to what had just happened with John the Baptist. But the amazing thing is, pretty soon he came back because people had needs. And as you read on in the chapter, you have the disciples came and said, man, the people are crowding around. They're going to be hungry. Send them home. And Jesus goes, no, don't send them home. Feed them. And they said, how can we feed this many people? There's, there's tons of them. And there's people as far as the eye can see. And, and all we have to feed them with is there's this one kid <coughs> that has five biscuits and a couple of fish. And how are we supposed to feed all these people? And Jesus said, bring me the loaves and, and the fish. And he prayed over them and he multiplied them. And everyone there ate until they were full. They were passing them out. And in the end, as you read down through the passage, they had 12 baskets of food left over after they had fed everyone. And again, between 15 and 20,000 people conservatively fed. And that's why I say the greatest miracle ever because the most witnesses and it's impossible to do. If you see somebody raised from the dead, you could go, well, you hallucinated or he wasn't really dead or whatever. But you couldn't really say that they didn't really eat. Everyone did. And there's 12 baskets in to-go containers afterwards. Now, that's like amazing. So at that point, what would you expect Jesus to do? He just had his greatest moment. Better than, you know, better than turning water into wine. Because those people were probably too drunk to really appreciate it. Here's all this evidence and all these people, massive amounts of people. And what does Jesus do? Well, as you read down here, he says that, he says that uh, immediately, verse 22, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening had come, he was alone there. Does it ring a bell from earlier in the chapter? When Jesus goes through his greatest disappointment, his most horrible moment as a human being up until this point and arguably forever, he decides to go off and get alone with God. 
And then he has his greatest victory. And you would think, man, we got 12 baskets of food. The disciples are here. People have gone away happy. It's time for an after party. It's time for a great celebration. Hey, come on, let's put Jesus on our shoulders. And let's. No. He goes, this was awesome. I got to get away. I need to leave. So you guys get in your boat and head off. And I'm going to go up into the mountains alone. And I'm going to spend time with my father. See the pattern? He, something horrible happens, he gets alone. Something great happens, he gets alone. And, you know, as you read on for the rest of the chapter, he finally, as he's up in the mountains, he's looking out over the sea and he sees there's a storm and his disciples are out in a boat. And he's like, oh man, okay, nice talking with you, Father, but I got something to do. He walks on the water. The most iconic miracle he ever did, the one that we always think of when we think about miraculous. He walks on the water. The, the uh, you know, disciples thought he was a ghost. And he's like, I'm not a ghost, idiot. It's me. I'm, I'm real. And then Peter goes, well, if it's really you, call me out to walk with you. And Jesus is like, okay, come on. Peter's walking on the water himself. Amazing. Until he takes his eyes off Jesus, starts freaking out, sinks, yells, Jesus, save me. And Jesus pulls him in the boat. As soon as they're both in the boat, boom. The sea is instantly still. Another amazing miracle. And then as they went and landed at the end of the chapter, um, <clears throat> verses 34 through 36, people started coming, and he's healing everybody who ever touched. And then finally it was like, if they even touched the hem of his garment, they're like, just let me touch your shirt. Boom. They were well. So unprecedented, so unusual, such a great miracle. So what do you have in this chapter? You have a huge disappointment followed by getting away, which then led to his greatest miracle, which then after the greatest miracle, he chooses to get away. And then after getting away that time, something even more impressive in some ways happens in front of more people and... His power just seemed to increase in response to his getting away. So how do we make sense of this? First of all, this is not monasticism. This isn't some ascetic guru who's always off by himself contemplating his navel. There are people, and there's a great tradition in Christianity, that would look at these stories and other, like Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted, and say that the way to get really spiritually close to God is just constantly go out and contemplate your navel. Constantly get out there and just meditate deeply and don't be around people ever. Well, that's not what he's doing. In each case, he has to come back because the people have needs and he's coming. And it, it, it wasn't like a an intentional plan that he had. It was a response to what was going on. It was obviously a huge priority for him, but it was not a ritual. It doesn't even tell us what he did while he was away. It doesn't say how long he was there. It just says he went away. And in the second case, to pray, to be with the Father. In the first case, just to get away and to be alone. So he isn't, this wasn't a routine for him, but this was something that he would do at times, and we see other instances of him doing it. But I don't think he's saying that we need to go spend years living in a cave, being contemplative. There are people who feel that that's their calling, to be kind of a monk 
or a guru or something like that. Those kind of people are almost never useful. They just kind of sit there and other people will gather around and make them feel good, but they're not the ones who are out there actually getting work done, that's for sure. But it's still there and we have to deal with it. Now, first of all, let's just think about this from a human perspective. What's the best response when something happens that's incredibly disappointing to you? What's the best response when your life has just become overwhelming? When something happens that lets you down? Um, Maybe you've lost a loved one, or maybe a relationship that's failed, or your career crashes and burns, or you, you see things going on in the world, and you're like, oh, this is awful, this is freaking me out. Um, usually, talking it out with somebody will only fan the flames of whatever it is that you're feeling. See, like, if you're hurting right now, having somebody talk to you quite often will just make it even more obvious that they don't understand what you're feeling, because they truly don't. No one can, you know, if you, like, lose a loved one, there's no one who had that exact relationship, and they can come and say, I know how you feel. I remember Greg Laurie saying after his son Topher died that a lady came up to him very sincerely and said, Pastor Greg, I know exactly how you're feeling. I lost my cat this week. And that sounds stupid, but that's just as ridiculous as somebody acting like, I know exactly how you feel, and the fact that I know that should make you feel better, it almost never works. It's why in all the studies, the biggest threat to a marriage, more than anything else, is when um, a father and mother lose a child. Now, some of you have, have gone through that, and you understand why it puts such a strain on a marriage, because you're with somebody who's experienced what you've experienced, but it's not the same. Everyone has a different relationship, and in a relationship, quite often, when a, when a child dies, there's guilt and blame and all sorts of things. It, it really, it's a, it's a miracle when a marriage can survive a loss like that. But it's almost never that, oh, people are there. Now, I, I want to make it clear, if you are really down and you're... And you're having ideation of suicide or something, you should, that's not the time to get a loan. You need to get some professional help from somebody who isn't involved in your life, who's a professional, who can address the issues with you and help you. But for the most part, for most of us, when we go through something disturbing, one of the smartest responses we can do is say, I need to get away. I need to call time out, take a break, move out into a place where I can, I can find some clarity. Um, it's almost always a great choice. And so when Jesus went through with John the Baptist, he's, I mean, I'm sure he felt like yelling. I'm sure he felt like crying. He might have done both of those when he got alone. He just didn't, Matthew didn't know what he did, so he didn't tell us. But what did he do? The first thing might have been, why did this happen? Why, why have you forsaken me? Why did, you know, I want to go kill. Let's just destroy this planet and start over. And I'm sure he may have had some of, those, some of those feelings. And sometimes you just need to get it out. It's really better off to get it out by yourself with you and God because God will never be offended by anything that you say. He's safe to be with, and you can talk to him any way you want, and it's all just words and symbols to him. He doesn't, he doesn't see, you know, any big significance in how you say what you say. But sometimes it's then hearing his voice. 
Sometimes it's then the comfort that he provides when he says, I know how you feel. I totally understand. You think it didn't hurt me? What happened in this situation? It does. See, Jesus endured everything so that he could be the one that we could meet with and he'd say, I do know how you feel. In fact, I've felt that way myself. There are no people who can really honestly say that. But he can, and he experienced it here. And so it was a reasonable decision for him to say, you know what? I'm afraid of what I do if you guys don't leave. So get out of here, and I'm going to go be alone. I'm going to just isolate myself a little bit. And he did. Now, the result of that, he came back energized. And again, he comes back, the disciples are kind of worn out. And he's telling them, now let's feed thousands of people. Come on, we can do this. Bring me the stuff. I'll do it. It'll be fine. He had strength. And the text seems to connect that with the fact that he went away after his big disappointment. So you see a pattern developing here. But then he ends up having a great time feeding, you know, maybe 20,000 or more people. And it's just crazy, miraculous. People are excited. Everybody's completely stoked. The disciples all have baskets full of food left over. And, and it's like, hey, let's celebrate. Nah, I need to go be alone. So you guys get in a boat, head over. I'll meet you over there or somewhere in between. But right now, I just had an amazing day. I want to go spend time alone with the Father. I want to go spend time with him. And he came back, obviously energized, walks on water, saves the disciples, and then anybody who touches him is getting healed. It's amazing. And if you want power in your life, it's always accentuated by the choices that you make to actually get alone with God periodically. Now, everyone's getting alone might look different. I mean, if you're a mom with little kids, getting alone might just mean taking a little extra time in the bathroom and lock the door. You know, it, it might be getting a babysitter so that you can go take a break. You might feel like you have to make up some excuse, but ultimately it's taking the time to say, it's just me and God here and I need to be with him either because things aren't going well or because things are. If things aren't going well, I need a healing and restoration and a strengthening. If things are going well, I want to gain a perspective that will allow me to continue to move in a positive way, either way. And think about it. If Jesus needed to do this, and he's a man like us, except he's perfect, how in the world do we even think, how do we presume to live life without doing this? To go, you know what, I can't even remember the last time. I just went away to be alone. I'm not talking about going away to binge watch Netflix or going away to do something fun or, you know, spa day or whatever. I'm talking about literally doing nothing, going away just to go away and hoping to meet God there. We think we can do life without it. And Jesus felt like he couldn't do life without it. It's amazing. Now, then you might go, but what do you do? How do you, when you go away, then what? 
I don't even think it matters that much because it doesn't tell us what Jesus did in either case other than it mentions praying. So one time it might be go away and cry. Go away and laugh. Go away and think. Go away and reflect on what's happened. Go away and make plans for the future. Listen to God's word and meditate on it. But whatever you do when you go away, the point seems to be getting away that's really the important factor because that's all it tells us. Now, the one thing that we certainly know and is clear from the text, going away is something that he did to avoid distractions. See, everywhere Jesus went, people were bugging him. Oh, come and heal me. Oh, come and tell us, teach us, tell us a story. Come and, and bless my children. Come to, and everywhere he went, they're like, let's see a miracle. Let's argue about theology. <clears throat> everywhere he was distracted. So when he went off to be alone, now he's eliminated distractions. So how does that work for us? We live in a world that's like a thousand times as distracting as Jesus' world. Even though I don't constantly have a barrage of people coming to me for healing like Jesus did. After you pray for a few people and they don't get well, they kind of give you a break. But, you know, <laughs> at the same time, in our, think about electronically the connections that we have. It used to be, I mean, my lifetime, you had a phone. And I remember party lines. But you had a phone and if somebody called and nobody answered, they figured you were busy or you were somewhere else. They'll try to call again. And then we invented answering machines, which was a step toward more distraction because now they would actually leave a message, although you wouldn't hear the message till you got home. But then they made messages that you could actually retrieve remotely and were becoming more and more connected and in demand. Then we went from that to where I remember when the first pagers came out. I thought, this is so cool. I could have this pager on my belt. Anybody needs me, they can page me. And when they would page me, I'd have to drive around looking for a phone booth so that I could go and call them. Seemed like a great thing. I remember when I got my first pager, Tim Hathaway, who was the video guy at Calvary Forever, said, that's just an electronic leash. And I go, boy, that's the truth. So then it was great when cell phones came out because I didn't have to look for phone booths anymore. But then, and a watch that could communicate and every, and now I have notifications that while I'm teaching, people can try to call me. They forget that I work on Sundays or, you know, and then I'll have sports scores popping up and I'll do, and it's, we're constantly barraged with notifications. Everything. We are so full of distraction. The junk that we buy, the stuff that we have, the TV used to have three channels. And at 10 o'clock, they all went off, and there's a picture of an Indian on the screen, or Native American, if you prefer. So, so it's like, now we have a million channels, everything on demand, all these streaming platforms, all these podcasts, all the, YouTube, and everything. We're bombarded with stuff. Now, if Jesus needed to get away, I'll tell you something. We absolutely need to get away. Just try spending a day ignoring your cell phone. And you'll, you'll be surprised. At how, and the phone will usually tell you, well, your use was down 80% today. Are you alive? You know, they'll send an ambulance for you or something. But it's like 
We have no idea how distracted we are, but given that, we have no idea how critical it is that we learn what Jesus is showing here, demonstrating you have to shut it all down and get away. For how long? It kind of depends. For Jesus, every time, each of these times in the chapter, there was a need, and so he needed to get back. And so maybe for all of us in our lives, we can get away, but then you know, there are demands, there are needs, and we go back. It seemed like just getting away strengthened Jesus enough that when he came back, he was raring to go. He was ready to hit it. That might be our case as well. I can't tell you what to do when you get away, but I can tell you, you need to get away, and I do too. I, usually, I don't feel like I need to get away. A lot of times, Anne will say, Dave, do you need to get away? Because she can tell. When I, and she, I don't think she does it just to give herself a break, but you know, it's like she can just see when I'm getting wound up or I'm getting stressed or you know, she knows. Or if I'm going through something hard, she, she is able to identify it and encourage me to do that. And if you love the people in your life, you will encourage them to also get away. Now, some people told me after last service that for them getting away is just to go for a drive. Other people, it's to go for a walk or a hike. Other people, it may be to go somewhere by themselves in a tent or, you know, whatever going away looks like for you and your life has to dictate somewhat the choices that you make. If you want to continue to have the power that God wants you to have to live life the way he wants you to live, you better learn this lesson because people can't help you in your grief, but getting away with God can. And people can't really help you in your celebration, but getting away really can. It makes a difference. Power is always the ultimate result of all that. So the question is, why don't we do it? What keeps us from getting away? Um, I think sometimes our distractions steal from us. I mean, everything we buy is almost something that steals part of our life away from us, but you know, whatever it is that distracts us, we may just not be able to do. Well, what if somebody thinks this, or what if that happens, or I'm expecting a delivery from Amazon every day, and what if somebody steals it off my porch? And you can always find excuses. I'd suggest to you that most people don't get away because of fear, because they're either afraid that it won't work, that they'll get away and go, okay, God, he just won't show up, you feel stupid or you're afraid that he will show up and tell you something and minister to you in a way that makes you uncomfortable. It's a little different than what you're used to or that freaks you out. But I, I can assure you of this. If you want to have clarity in your life, if you want to be able to look back at what's happened and see it clearly, and if you want to be able to look forward in making plans and see that clearly, it's going to come because you do what Jesus did. You take time to shut it down, to get away, to take a break. If you think you don't need that, you somehow think that you have resources that Jesus doesn't have. And I want to encourage you. It's, not, it's going to feel weird when you first do it, but you'll get used to it. And you'll discover just by the discipline of getting away and not doing anything for a while, shutting down all the voices and the thoughts and the racing 
you know, energy and memories and hurt and all that. And all of a sudden, to feel that calm, there's nothing quite like it. And Jesus wants to do that so that you can move forward being empowered to be able to create and to do so much more and so much better than you've ever been able to before. And I would just encourage you this week, think about it. Take some time to just get away and just go, I'm just doing this because Jesus did it. And if he needed it, I do. Whether you've had a rough week and you need to get away, or whether you've had a great week, you need to get away. Get away. Do that. Do it simply. Do it without a bunch of complications. Do it in a way that fits with your lifestyle and where you are and what obligations you have at the moment. But I promise you, anything that you neglect to get away, it'll be there when you get back, and you'll have much more strength to be able to handle the challenges that life brings. And I think that's what Jesus would want us to get from these stories in this chapter. You can hit rock bottom, get away. You can hit the top, get away. The result, amazing and powerful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these stories, for being such an example to us. It's hard for us to envision a Jesus who needed to get away, but it's even harder for us to believe that actually we need to do that as well. But it's a choice that we make to either follow your example or to think that we'll just slough through it any way we can and hang in there and barely survive. Lead us in removing distractions so that we can truly connect with you in a way that suspends time for a little bit so that we can just remember who we are Remember who you are. Listen to your voice. Cry. Breathe. Whatever it is that the moment calls for. Help us to make that first step of saying, you guys go over here, and I'm going to go over here to be alone. Help us to never apologize for that desire, because it's one you taught us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we are celebrating communion. It's a really special time. And by the way, if you didn't get one of these little cups when you came in, you can raise your hand and ushers will be happy to give you one. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, he was about to go into the hardest challenge he had ever had. But he said, I always want you to remember me. He simplified life to something as simple as a piece of bread and a cup of wine. And he said, do this to remember me. This is my body that was broken. This is my blood that was shed. When our lives are complicated with distractions, communion comes in very simply. As he just says, here you are. Me, you, chunk of bread, a cup. This is what it's all about. This is what life is is all about. This is what my love for you is all about. And so it's always a blessing to celebrate communion together because it reduces us to the most basic elements of who Jesus is and what he has for us. So Nate's going to lead us in a song. Just 
focus your heart. Don't think about whatever's going on after church or anything else. Just focus right now on communion and what it means, on Jesus on the cross giving his life for us. Just stay there for the couple of minutes during the song and and then we'll all partake together. There in the chaos, there in the dark, the body of Jesus, broken for us, he is our stooped lower to die for us. Help us to never forget the significance of what you did when you humbled yourself to the point of death. And help us to see ourselves and our lives in the same basic 
paradigm that it's as simple as this. Living, breathing, dying, rising. So we thank you that you've given us this emblem to remember the simplicity of what matters. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all partake together. And let's all stand. It's great being with you today, as always. Really want to encourage you to pray about getting away somehow for a little bit of time this week. Do what you have to do to get away and see what God does. If you're somebody who you've never really given your life to Christ, you don't, you don't even know if you're a Christian or not, you like Christianity, but you don't know if you have a personal connection with him, um, I would encourage you this week to set some time aside, get away, and just tell him, ask him, if you're real, you want to show yourself to me? Can you help me to know who you are? And he will meet you there, I promise. Um, if you need prayer for any reason, please come on down to the front. There are people down here who would love to pray with you. But I pray that you'll have a week where you eliminate distractions and find that place of focus that will allow you to process the past, good and bad, and prepare you for the future. Um, also wanted to mention a few announcements. This week, on Tuesday night at 6, Nate's getting together with a bunch of people. And thanks to those of you who have donated clothes for Salvation Army. They're going for homeless people. And it's exciting, and we have a ton of them. And so on Tuesday night at 6, Nate's going to get together with anyone that wants to come and help and sort the clothes and fold them and prepare them to be delivered. So, you know, men's clothes, women's clothes, Disney, all (laughs) sorted out and ready to deliver. (laughs) Sorry if that offends you. But I have a perfect thing now, as I was thinking about it the other day. When someone criticizes me or gets offended by me, I'm going to accuse them of elder abuse. So, (laughs) But come on out on Tuesday nights at 6 if you would enjoy helping, making the job easier, but also... (laughs) Just thinking about the blessings that are going to, and praying for the bodies of the people who are going to be wearing these clothes. So Tuesday night at 6, of course, this next Sunday is Mother's Day. I hope you didn't forget. Uh, There's still time to make preparations for that. We always have a great time on Mother's Day, so please come, invite your mothers, invite your kids, invite people that you know. We'll have a chocolate We'll have chocolate gift bags and photo booths and a lemonade bar. And so make sure that next Sunday, again, services the same time as usual, 8, 9.45 and 11.30. But we'll join together and celebrate our mothers next Sunday. And then in two weeks from yesterday, our Season Classics group is uh, having a luncheon here at the church. So it's on the 14th at noon. And it's a free lunch, and they'll play games and everything. And it's free, and you can come. You can invite friends. But just Kenny needs to know roughly how many people to expect as he orders the food. So you can go online and sign up for that. And I know that'll be a special 
time, and then something to put on your calendar. Many of you help with Vacation Bible School every year, so we wanted to let you know it's set for July 18th through the 21st. So if you have a way to get a few days off in there and can come and help out, that it's always a blessing. You always get more blessed by helping than the blessing that you are. So put that on your calendar and keep that in mind. And again, I pray that sometime this week, you'll get alone and find out how amazing that can be. Again, come down if you need prayer. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. God bless you. See